During Thanksgiving of 2016, a video of gospel artist Shirley Caesar went viral across social media. It was a clip of Caesar telling a story about a man she calls Shouton John, who is put out of church because he can't contain his praise of God. The church leaders visited John on his piece of land to inform them of their decision to kick him out of church. And this is where this famous viral meme comes in. John tells the church leaders to look, see all of this land? God gave it to me. I have beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, ham, lamb, hog, dog, you name it. Many black social media users used Caesar's list to name all of the food they were preparing to have at Thanksgiving, soul food. So while the meme was and is exceedingly funny, it is also a window into the cultural and theological complexity of soul food, what it says about God, the story of the United States, and black imaginations. Here to discuss this with us today is Adrian Miller, Executive Director of the Colorado Council of Churches and author of the James Beard Foundation award-winning book, Soul Food, The Surprising Story of an American, American Cuisine, One Plate at a Time. I'm Broderick Greer, and this is Mile High Theology. And usually, if we had a live audience, people would clap at this point. Um, so I will just welcome <laughs> you, Adrian. Thank you uh, for being with us. No, it's good to be here. Thank you so much. We are so, so excited about having you. So tell us what a day in your life looks like right now. Oh, well, it depends if I'm doing research or not. So um, <laughs> if I'm here in Denver, usually I get up and I um, I have a kind of a flexible job. So I usually get up in the morning and do a little bit of research for whatever food-related project I'm working on, whether it's a freelance article or if it's working on my book. So my next book's going to be on the history of African-American barbecue. Uh, the working title is Black Smoke. That's Ty wow. Hall. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I'm proud of that one. So um, do a little research on that. And then I go into work at the Colorado Council of Churches. And that could be a, a variety of things. Now we have the legislative session going. So I'm usually tracking legislation, just making sure that we have a faith voice present at the state capitol. And then when I get home, I'm probably doing research again or some kind of social function. Maybe, you know, getting a little bit of sports TV, but back at it again. Because uh, since I am working on this book kind of on the side, I kind of take any moment I can to just further the narrative and, and keep the project going. Wow. So if you would say a little bit about what your research <laughs> Um, cause earlier you used scare quotes. So yeah. what, what does that entail research wise? Right. So, um, it's a mix of academic stuff. Uh, so like for instance, for my soul food book, I read 3000 oral histories of formerly enslaved people wow. and I looked for all references for food. Um, I read thousands of newspaper articles, especially ones dating back to the 1600s. Cause we now have companies that digitize old newspapers and the word searchable. Uh, I also just talk to people about food, what they think it is, where they think it's going. And then because I care about my subject so much, I try to eat my way through the country. So <laughs> of course. Uh, for the soul food book, I went to 150 soul food restaurants in 35 cities in 15 states. Wow. I know you're surprised that I'm still alive. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm doing the same thing right now for barbecue. And so I put it on social media that I'm looking for barbecue research assistance. I have 250 people around the country just ready to roll when I eat. So they're just like, let, let me know if you're coming to my town. And wow. so it's been cool because I'll roll, go into a place, probably a place I've never been to before, and people will join me there. 
And so we'll talk about the local barbecue scene. And it helps me out because if, you know, we can all just kind of get a whole big old platter of food Mm -hmm. and I can just sample everything. Because when I was doing the research the first time for soul food, I was usually by myself and there's just only so much you can eat. And so I just felt bad that I couldn't sample everything on the, on the menu. Now I can for most times. Wow. And, and I follow you on social media. You're a prolific um, social media user. And I saw a post, I think it was last week. I mean, I think your, your freezer is full <laughs> of, of samples of food, yes. from, I, I'm assuming, across the country. Yeah. So um, th- basically, when I pick a hotel that I'm going to stay at, I, I check out if they have a good size fridge or not. Because I have to know, because usually I only eat a little bit when I go to a place and I save it. And so I got to have to make sure that I have a place where I can store that food because I'm usually in a town for three or four days. And then I pack all of that stuff up, put it in my suitcase. I call it emotional support barbecue when I get on my plane. (laughs) And then I bring it back and usually I share it with my family. So my my dad and my brother get in get in on it. Amazing. So you have family here in Denver. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Now, did you grow up in Denver? I did, which loses me all street cred on the subject of soul food. Oh, that's funny. So I grew up in Denver, and then when I was a little kid, moved to Aurora. So really, I grew up in Aurora. But Mm -hmm. yeah, this is this is home. Amazing. If you would, um, you've touched a little bit on this. Tell us what soul food is and what your relationship to soul food was growing up in Aurora. Yeah. So soul food is uh, a lot of things, actually. I used to think it was just one thing, but it's a lot of things I found out. So soul food is one of the traditional cuisines of African-Americans. So it's different to me than Creole food Mm. or the low country food of the Carolinas. It's really the food of the interior South that African-Americans took out of the South during the great migration period that lasted decades and transplanted in places across the country. So I I think of it as an immigrant cuisine that Mm. is the celebration of the food that starts to branch out. So just to run through a very quick meal and, you know, we're part of the black faith tradition. So Mm. I'm expecting call and response. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, Um, entrees, fried chicken, catfish, Mm -hmm. or chitlins. Now, I know chitlins aren't for everyone. And those are pig intestines. They are for me, but you're right. They are not for everybody. So stewed or fried pig intestines. I usually had them stewed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Greens, uh, and the greens, collards, cabbage, kale, mustard, or turnip. So I usually tell people, if you discovered kale in the last five to 10 years, welcome to the party. We've been eating them for about 300. Exactly. Uh, black eyed peas, candy jams, mm-hmm. which are sweet potatoes, mac and cheese. I read a chapter about cornbread, um, then hot sauce, and then red drink, because I believe red Kool-Aid is the official soul food drink. It is. Now, you know there's a generational shift happening, right? There's a lot of youngins that like purple and blue or blue. And as I wrote in my book, I believe the children are our future, that we should teach them well and let them lead the way, but not on Kool-Aid. Exactly. Because they're messing it up. <laughs> and then Yeah, for- <laughs> red drink is like a sacramental. I know, but now they're wow. blue. I mean, I can understand purple, but blue? Uh, I don't know. It's red for sure. Yeah. And then for dessert, peach cobbler, pound cake, banana pudding, or sweet potato pie. So to me, that's a typical meal. Mm -hmm. So the way I relate it to it is my parents are from the South. Mom is from Chattanooga, Tennessee. My dad is from Helena, Arkansas. So they met in Denver, got married, and raised a family here. So soul food was the basically the default cuisine Mm -hmm. um, growing up. Now, my mom was a good cook, so she could branch out and make things and other. But when it came to holidays... Yeah, You know, it was soul food. And to me, so soul food reminds me of home and family, but it also reminds me of community because it was church meals, family reunions, any kind of gathering, large gathering of African-Americans usually had a soul food element. 
Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm really hungry <laughs> having this conversation with you. Mission accomplished. It, it, I, I, I actually wrote about, um, soul food in my family a couple of years ago for on being, which is another podcast yeah. and, um, Thanksgiving. And I don't think it was as sentimental. It, it really was the symbolism of all of that and what that meant to my family, what it means to us, what it means to our culture. Um, it's amazing that you get to do that kind of work yeah. all the time. Right. And I wanted to re, I really wanted to examine soul food because I think soul, a lot of people hate on soul food, mm-hmm. I think unfairly. And so the two main critiques of soul food is that one, it needs a warning label that if you eat this food on a regular basis, it's going to kill you. Yeah. And the other is that this is slave food that's not worthy of celebration. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to test what was fact and fiction about those two things. Yeah. And I found that soul food is much more complex. It fuses West Africa, yes. Europe, the Americas. It's a mix of royalty food. Uh, there is some food of the enslaved, but it's just like this amazing hybrid. And so mm. I just thought, I really wanted to just really uh, investigate that. And I, so I'm glad that I got a chance to really cast soul food, I think, in a very positive light. Mm. I love that. You're a lifelong member of Campbell Street African Methodist Episcopal Church um, here in Denver. What role does soul food play in the life of your congregation? Oh, it's huge. Some of, some of our marquee events are centered around soul food. So one is called the Harvest Rally. Mm-hmm. And it started out as an effort just to raise funds back in the day so that we could have enough money to pay for our energy costs through the harsh winters. Wow. So it's usually the weekend before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And so, you know everyone's showing off their best dish because it's a potluck thing. We have a core of cooks that make some stuff, but then there's a potluck element. So you know, you got to find out if sister so-and-so made this or that, right, before you dive in. That's amazing. And because my mom was such a great cook, she had that reputation. So people would be like, hey, did Johnetta make that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's uh, huge. And also we have fish fries during the summer, mm-hmm. um, usually catfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we used to have a barbecue uh, sale during the summer as well. But then when we just got together, any kind of event, we have a lot of church mothers at my church in their 90s, wow. some getting close to 100. And so we would just celebrate them through food. In fact, one of the coolest things we did recently is one of the sisters in the church celebrating a woman who turned 100, basically had a representative cake for each decade of her life. That's awesome. Isn't that the coolest thing? I want that when I turn 100. Yeah. I want to make it to 100 just so I can have that. Exactly. Yeah. That was really cool. That is so awesome. And it's amazing that it sounds like your community of faith has a rich tradition of extending kind of God's table beyond a Sunday morning service. Like, it, it sounds like that's kind of a table that you you're around together a right lot. yeah a welcome table and then the other cool part of it is that you, sometimes uh soul food will slip into the sermon so wow. to really just make a point they'll they'll bring up soul food just to really show hey hey you know i want to make sure y'all are, are getting this that you're not sleeping right so pay attention to this <laughs> so i just love that all those references to soul food yeah. exactly i love yeah. that i love that um, what do you, and, and along those lines of talking about soul food and sermons, what do you think about, what do you think soul food says about God? So, uh, 
I think God is love, and I think soul food is love. Uh, I think any act of cooking is an expression of love. Wow. Because that cook is saying, I care for your survival. Mm-hmm. They're saying, I love you. I mean, even if the food is straight nasty, at least they made the attempt, right? Exactly. Uh, and so that, to me, it's about love, and it's mm-hmm. about building community and connection. Uh, and what I love about the soul food story, now that I've investigated, is my connection to my ancestors. Wow. I understand that that journey now i understand what they tried to bring from west africa what they did to try to recreate home how they adapted to new situations how they borrowed from their neighbors and all this while they were building um a world for themselves a new world even under uh, unimaginable conditions Mm -hmm. but it was a story of triumph of ingenuity creativity and i just loved seeing all of that come together amazing amazing yeah I'm Broderick Greer, and I'm joined by Adrian Miller, Executive Director of the Colorado Council of Churches and author of the Beard Foundation award-winning book on soul food. The Colorado Council of Churches, and we're kind of shifting gears a little bit here, Sure, um, has started something that you're calling Faithful Tuesdays. Can you tell us a little bit more about Faithful Tuesdays? Yeah, so this was uh, inspired by kind of the Moral Mondays movement that started in North Carolina. And the idea is to bring a faith voice to the state capitol to, sh- to show that having a faith perspective is very important. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason we don't call it Moral Mondays here is because a lot of clergy, they ski on Mondays. So we had to find, <laughs> <laughs> we had to find another day. I right? love that. And we couldn't find anything alliterative because taco was already taken. Right? So we decided <laughs> to use Faithful Tuesdays. But a lot of state constitutions, uh, unlike our federal constitution, a lot of state constitutions in their preamble, they have a reference to the divine. Mm. They talk about a holy creator, providence, other things. So I think it's a reminder that public policy at its best serves a divine purpose. Mm. So we're trying, we're fighting for a moral economy to promote equity and to eradicate racism. That's what we're focused on uh, this first uh, year that we're doing this. So every Tuesday at the state Capitol at noon, probably in the North foyer, we'll see if the weather gets better, we might move outside Mm -hmm. on the first floor. uh, We have a specific event theme. So we've, done the death penalty. We've done criminal justice. Next week, when the Colorado Council of Churches hosts, we'll do it on homelessness. And so there'll be some kind of focus every week. Mm -hmm. And again, we'll bring faith leaders there. And it's just to show an expression of support that we need to be at the Capitol. We need to be active and we need to be prophetic witnesses in this time because this time is calling for us. Amazing. Amazing. What powerful work Mm -hmm. um, to bring... It sounds like a a, a diverse coalition of people together to transform our state. Yes, and let me just emphasize that it is an interfaith collaboration. Mm-hmm. So we're working with uh, Together Colorado, the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado, um, the Catholic Conference of Colorado, mm-hmm. um, and also the Rocky Mountain Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So there's a lot of us coming together for that. The Episcopal Church in Colorado mm-hmm. is there. Uh, so I think it's just going to be really dynamic. And so we're hoping that after we work out the kinks this year and see what works, what doesn't, that we can keep building on it going forward. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. What role would you say um, soul food plays in the fight for justice? So one of the biggest problems we have right now is that we have people that just can't get food. Uh, wow. they, just because of where they live, um, sometimes because of their socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think what, part of our endeavor here on this earth is to make sure that people have dignity Mm-hmm. that they're able to survive and that they feel loved. And a food is a big part of that. And so soul food comes into play because we're looking at people trying to take control 
of the situation, and they're trying to work on things like food justice mm-hmm. to get access to food where they live. So we're seeing move- movements to have gardening. Um, we're starting to see churches have gardens and to supply that to their community. We're starting to see people figure out how can we get food to people that can't have it. So mm-hmm. they're, uh, you know, their food rescue alliances where they'll go to someplace, put food on a bike and bike it to another place where they, you know, where they can't get access to it. So we're starting to see a lot of creativity, uh, I think in the Christian food movement. And so people are thinking about, well, first of all, how can we be more connected to the earth? Because the, unfortunately that a lot of the ways that our food system has evolved has disconnected us, mm-hmm. I think from that. So we're yeah. trying to get reconnected. We're trying to make sure that people can eat <laughs> and be fed and be nourished. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is, again, another way of building community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's trying to get rid of these artificial barriers that have created distinct differences that really should not exist. Wow. I mean, why can't people? We, we grow and we probably throw away much more food than we ever could use to feed yeah. people. So how do we change that system and understand that what we're doing right now is not working? And given current trends climate change and other things, these problems are just going to get more acute if we don't pay attention and address them now. Amazing. And I think the most important question of this whole conversation is Tabasco or Texas Pete's. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm different because oh. uh, I, I like Frank's and Louisiana Interesting. Brand. Yeah. Because to me, Tabasco, I know this is going to get me in trouble with some. To me, with to, me. Okay. Tabasco doesn't have enough kick. <gasps> oh my goodness. You think Tabasco has enough I kick? Th- well, number one, the Tabasco people are Episcopalians. <laughs> All right. I didn't know that. And I was converted actually to Tabasco <laughs> while I was still a Baptist. Okay. Um, it, I just, the others, Louisiana and Texas Pete, just yeah, yeah. don't, they don't resonate with me. They, they're too, the vinegar taste is too strong for me. Interesting. Okay. I just I just need a little bit more from Tabasco. I just not I'm not getting it. Is it not spicy enough? It's not spicy enough. And to me it doesn't have enough flavor. I actually would like some more spices in there. I feel I feel personally enough. <laughs> you know I got much love for you, brother. You know that, right? But just not on this question. We're just gonna have to disagree. And your uh, the other question. Um, what is your favorite soul food restaurant in Denver? Oh, wow. So there are really two that I love. So okay. one is Welton Street Cafe. Mm-hmm. And it's really the only soul food restaurant left now in Five Points, the mm-hmm. traditional black neighborhood. And then I like a place called Cora Face, um, oh. which used to be at 29th and Colorado, roughly. Okay. But the neighborhood was gentrifying. The landlord booted her out. And so she, because of raising rents, mm-hmm. uh, so she's now in Aurora past on Colfax past Chambers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not quite out to Tower Road, but essentially out there. Awesome. So, and I love her place because it looks like you're in your, some, your grandmother's parlor. Wow. You feel like you're in somebody's house even because mm-hmm. she's decorated the place to give it that kind of feel. Uh, but she's the only place I know in Denver that serves bone-in catfish. So I wow. love that. And her coconut cream cake, man, next level. And then at Weldon Street Cafe, it's interesting because they're kind of a mix of Caribbean. Yeah. So they have jerk chicken, other stuff. Um, you know, they got some really good fried chicken at Weldon Street Cafe. They do. That's my go-to place. Yeah. Um, and I love Welton Street. And we should just warn your listeners, if they get the rum cake, they should just realize that they should hope not to get a breathalyzer because... <laughs> That is some strong <laughs> rum really? cake. Have so you I've ever never had, had dessert be- there before? So oh I'll man! Do you feel like something's missing in your life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You need to try dessert there. I will. Yeah. I will. Now that rum cake. 
But the coconut cream cake, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of my favorite desserts in Denver. Wow. Well, I guess they're in Aurora now. But anyway, Denver metro area. But yeah. That's good to know. Corafes. Corafes. Okay. I'll, I'll go. All right. And I'll let you know how, okay. what I think. I'm sure I'll love it. Yeah, I think you will. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Today. No, it's been fun. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a joy to, to talk to you. Um, we'll have to reschedule you at some point. Um, of course, Adrian could not be with us for Malhai Theology because of weather, and we had to cancel the event yeah. um, a few weeks ago. So thank you for being with us Oh, sure. Um, today in my office. I All really right. appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. The Bible can be very funny at times, especially in its original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. For example, God liberates the Israelites from enslavement in Egypt, and they quickly turn on God as soon as they enter the wilderness and begin getting hangry. Life was so much better in Egypt, they said. At least we were assured three square meals a day. So God begins miraculously feeding them quail in the desert, and God provides them with a dewy, bread-like substance in the wilderness as well. A substance so confounding, they ask, what is this? Which is approximately what translates to our word manna. Manna is literally a question for God. What is this stuff? I can't help but think that enslaved African Americans asked the same question when they were given scraps from their enslaver's table and were told to live on it. What is this? They likely asked one another. And I can hear God say, it is me. I am the very meal you feast on, the food in the wilderness that keeps you alive. Malhai Theology is a production of St. John's Cathedral, an Episcopal worshiping community in the city of Denver that is welcoming and inclusive of all. I offer thanks to Evans Owsley, our photographer, Seth Reese, our audio engineer and communications director, Michelle Vieira, the cathedral administrator, and our whole cathedral facility staff and Adrian Miller, our special guest. Adrian, where can people find you on social media, the internet? So on most platforms, I'm Soul Food Scholar. So that you can find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook fan page. I on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Snapchat, but I just don't get it, so yeah. I don't use it that much. Um, and then my website is Soul Food Scholar. So pretty much Soul Food Scholar will get you where you need to go. Perfect. Thank you again for being with us. Yeah. What a perfect guest you yeah. are. Thank you. Blessings to you. <laughs>